So we are in a series called Rooted Disciples, and we're actually almost done with that series. We've been doing it all year, and really all it means is that we've been trying to look at what it means to be a disciple, what it means to plug in and root into Jesus, and we've done that by checking out the six values of the village, and the reason that we kind of figured uh, these values are, um, well, we just kind of have looked at Jesus over the years and seen that these values are a way that he reflects himself to the world, and so we thought, hey, these are good things to kind of root into. So um, we looked at authenticity, we looked at the disciplines, we looked at creativity, we looked at truth and accessibility, and now we're in community, and we're in the book of Exodus, and and we've kind of covered community in a, a little bit longer than the other values, but partly because we've been following Israel's story as they've been formed into a community of God. Okay, And so Israel is God's people in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the first Part the old promise, the first part of the Bible, is Israel's story in relation to God and to one another. And so Exodus kind of talks about their formation. And so what we've kind of taken a look at as Israel has left Egypt and as they've traveled, and we've kind of looked at just some words that express who what community is. So we've looked at like what it means to be still. We talked about community being about freedom. We've talked about what it means to trust your leaders and to trust God. We've talked about um, what it means to hear God's voice calling us out of slavery and into a new way of doing things. So we've, we've kind of just looked at different ways of functioning in community. Um, but as we... Uh, well, when this whole series started, uh, Ron Lehman, which... where. Ron, since we're small waves, so people know who I'm talking about over there, is one of our leaders. He's on the leadership team. He's not the only leader, but he's on the team, and he presented community. And in his sermon on community, he opened up with this passage as a picture of what community is. And it's out of Psalm, well, it is Psalm 133. And so I want to read it to you and kind of remind you because this is going to be in contrast to the experience in some ways that we're Um, looking at tonight in Exodus. So, Psalm 133 says, I look how good and how pleasant, oh, look how good and pleasant, that's a one. Hmm. Anyway, look how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together. It is like fine oil poured on the head which flows down the beard, Aaron's beard, and then flows down his garments. It is like a dew of Hermron which flows down upon the hills of Zion. Indeed, That is where the Lord has decreed a blessing will be available, eternal life. So the idea here is it's saying that when brothers and sisters live together, um, and some translations talk about unity, So because when you live together, there has to be some element of unity, um, that when that's happening, life together is happening, there is an experience that's religious. Okay, that you have a religious experience. See, Aaron is a high priest, and so he's talking about, he's comparing life and community to this very euphoric spiritual experience. Okay, And then not only does he say that, it's not just like Aaron having a great experience, but it's actually intertwined with this idea of salvation and eternal life. It's like the dew on the mountain where God offers eternal life. What the What the author here is trying to tell us is that life together in community, when it's done the way it's supposed to be done, when we're 
choosing to be in it and there's unity, it is this really deep spiritual experience. Like it's it's the way it's like that peace that just that deep breath of wow, this is the way it's supposed to be. Now, with that in mind, I kind of want to offer you this statement here because I think you can kind of jump to the statement from this passage, and that is that a community that organizes itself or decides to live life together around Jesus experiences healing and offers healing. Because I would, I would like to suggest to you that if we're not in community, if we're not walking with Jesus, that what happens is we're, there's a real definite sense of not being healed and a definite sense of our brokenness. And so, what I think the psalmist is saying is that when we're in community, and in particular, as we're New Testament followers of Jesus, when we're in community surrounding Jesus, there is healing that happens, and out of that healing, we offer healing to one another. Okay? And so I want that, so that's the reason that you'd want to be part of a community. Now, next week is our belonging service. So no one will be standing up here speaking, we will be celebrating our community's life together. And every year what we do is we re-up. We belong. What we're saying is this is the community that we would like to live our life out with for a year. Now, for some of us, we don't necessarily are yet sure that we believe in God. There, You can still belong. You can still be part. Because we have a way for you to do that, of just saying, this is my community, even though I'm not quite sure I believe in Jesus. Now, for the rest of us who want to organize ourselves around Jesus and be part of this community, there's also a covenant that we can sign. Now, the way we belong every year is a creative way. So this year, or last year, we all brought knickknacks, you know, something from our house to kind of say, okay, this is my home away from home. So you can actually take your knickknack home this week, okay? Um, it's, it's, and the shelf will be gone. Now this year, if you haven't noticed, the website has been going through a lot of different overhauls and it's changing. Um, what we would like to do is actually have a village font that would be used on the website and all these different kinds of things. So each person in your family is going to get to design a font. Okay, so you're going to take home an A. And you're going to design it. You can color it. You can draw pictures in it. It will then be scanned into the computer and it will become part of a font for as long as computers exist. Okay? So, but I understand how the village is. And we all have to go eat. And we all have kids. So tonight, and this is good because we're kind of small tonight, I'm just going to put a table out there in the entryway and I'm going to sit down at the table. So if you want to talk to me, or come get your letter. That's where I'm going to be. I'm not going to move all night. So I'm going to table outside. I'm going to sit there. So you get to come to me to talk to me. And I'll hand you a letter so that your letter gets to the car without being crumpled or me picking it up or anything like that. Okay? Um, so for those people who didn't get here and they want to belong, you'll be able to color your little letter in next Sunday if you don't get it done this week. Yes? Yeah, you're designing the internal part, correct, Steve? Yes. And so, yeah, so that's that's the thing. So, but I want to say, so 
I want you to know exactly what's going to happen. Like what, what my intention is, what I think community looks like, and what kind of a, the healing process would be. I want you to know about it. And so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 17. So you can grab a Bible and go to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to look at the first seven verses. And I'm, and looking at the story of Israel and God, I'm hoping that we can kind of understand how healing works in community, how um, we can live life together and really find Jesus as our healing and offer healing to other people. So we're going to start out in this story, um, Exodus chapter 17. Now what's happened up to this point, if you remember last week, Rod's... Uh, talked about the Israelites and manna and their grumbling about not having food and, and all those kinds of things. And they were upset about having to eat manna, which we, you know, is just like nice toasted crackers or something. Who knows what it is? But pizza falling from the sky. But now they're headed to Mount Sinai. They're not there yet. And they're going to have some more problems. But we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. Let me read this first part to you. The whole community of the Israelites traveled on their journey from the desert of Sin according to the Lord's instructions, and they pitched camp in Rehidim, and now there was no water for the people to drink. Now I want you to take note of a couple things. The desert of Sin does not mean the desert of transgression. Actually, the word Sin is the root of Sinai. It means thorn. Mount Sinai means, Sinai means thorny. Okay, So it's the desert of thorns. It's just... Kind of nothing there, but a bunch of tumbleweeds. Um, but here's a couple of things you want to notice about this. They are traveling, they're, they're pitching their camp, they're taking it up, putting it down according to the Lord's instruction. Okay, So God's telling them to go there. Now, they're to pitch their camp in Rehidim, which is a place of rest, or it has to do with rest. Okay, So God tells these Israelite people, where to go, and he sends them to a place of rest, and what's the problem in the place of rest? There isn't any water. Okay? There isn't any water. If you decide to come into community, if you decide to, to join the village, to belong at any level, this is the first thing that I think you'll experience, and I think the Israelites are experiencing this too, but your wilderness will be acknowledged. Here's the reality. Like the Israelites wandering out in the desert, you and I, the New Testament and Old Testament, really indicates we're, we don't necessarily belong here. We're just journeying. We're just sojourners, right? If you've been doing your first Peter study, he says we're just sojourners. We're just traveling by, right? And so we all have sort of this wilderness experience, now, when I talk about wilderness and what we're talking about is the fact that things just aren't the way they're supposed to be in life, right? Our bodies are breaking down. We have aches and pains. We struggle with our chemical issues. There's a lot of things that we just are out of our control. The way that the world is around us is out of our control. But here's the thing. When you decide not to be in community, when you decide to be just an individual, what happens is, is first off, you begin to believe that you're the only one. You're the only one in wilderness, right? You're the only one wandering around the desert. You're the only one that has these problems. When you enter into community and wilderness is acknowledged, brokenness is acknowledged, it's, we all have this. 
We all have this. But the other thing about being an individual is that when you're outside a community, when you're not engaging with people, you begin to think, well, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe I actually don't have any brokenness. Maybe I don't have any needs. Because the farther you isolate yourself from people, the easier it is to not think about how you impact them. Right? And so, one of the things that you will experience, one of the wildernesses you're going to experience if you step in here, is that you will actually realize that maybe you do have some brokenness. Maybe you do have some struggles. Maybe you are like everybody else. Right? So what I'm really just saying is if you decide to join the village, you're going to find out that you're not all that special. You're just like everybody else. And we're all in this kind of desert together. Now, the other thing, though, that coming into community and having your wilderness acknowledges is that you begin to find out that suffering isn't just connected or isn't connected to bad and good. And I think we do this a lot. We get to the place where what we begin to say is only good people have good things happen to them and bad people have bad things happen to them, right? And so then we begin to struggle with our own suffering when we're outside of community because we don't have perspective. And so we end up thinking, oh, this is all my suffering, all my wilderness, all my wandering in the desert is all about the things I did. And everything that's good is happening to them about the things that they did. And all the bad things that are happening to them is because they've done something bad. Right? We begin to have these scales when we are not, when we're outside a community. So if you decide to belong, then what you're really just saying is, I'm in the desert. And I'm in the desert with everybody else. Now, the story continues. And these people, God has sent them to a place of rest, and yet it seems that what they really need is not there. Water. Okay. So it says in Exodus 17.2, it says, So the people contended with Moses, and they said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people were very thirsty there for water, and they murmured against Moses and said, Why in the world did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What will I do with this people? A little more, and they will stone me. All right, so we kind of saw this with the bread, right? They had no food, and they were murmuring against Moses. But there's some interesting things about here, about the wording here. First off, this word that I have highlighted, contend. Some translations say quarrel. Okay? They are putting Moses on trial. These are trial words. Okay? So there is no water. Moses is the one directing them. Moses is now on trial. They're saying, it's your fault and there are consequences for making the choices that you've made. So there's, a, there's this trial that's happening. Now, Moses readjusts things, and Moses says, no, 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 no. Why are you testing God? Because you see, Moses is the mouthpiece for God. And he says, no, no, if you're, if you're contending, if you're bringing something against me, then you are testing God. But I love it. They're like, so what? We're really, really thirsty. We don't care. And so they begin to murmur. And, and look what they say. What they're saying here is that you basically brought us out to kill us. And so Moses, when he goes to God, says, hey, they're about to stone me. Now, there are only two things that you can get stoned for, probably pre, 
the old the law before God gave the law. Number one is if you blaspheme God, and number two is treason. Hasn't blasphemed God, so they want to stone him because he has destroyed the nation. That's their opinion. You've taken us out of Egypt, and now we were slaves then, but now you're just wiping us out. And not only wiping us out, you're wiping the children out. Okay. So Moses goes to God with this, they're about to exact judgment on me. Okay, that's very, very important for you to hold on to. So, if you decide to belong at the village, I can't promise this will happen all the time, but number two is that you will have your testing of God confronted. So here's the reality. All of us have brokenness. All of us have things that don't go the way we want them. All of us sort of have our wilderness. And all of us, are victims. You all are victims to something. But here's the reality. Out of our victimhood, we all sin. Out of the brokenness, out of the things that have happened to us, out of being in the place that's supposed to be restful for us, but there's no water, we sin. Right? And Jeremiah, the old prophet Jeremiah, who is uh, long after our story, um, he kind of indicts the Israelites, and this is what he says, about them in a different time. But it it applies here. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says, My people, this is he speaking for God, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Moses, the Israelites have made Moses God. So immediately... Moses is the one leading them around. Moses is the one that's going to save them until there's no water. Then it's Moses' fault, right? The Israelites could have gone and said, hey, God, we're out here in the desert. Why would you bring us out here? We're, we're really, really thirsty. Do you think you could bring us some water? Right? But because Moses was their God, they, he, was, he wasn't coming through for them, right? So they had forsaken God, and they basically dug a new cistern. And that was Moses. Moses was the one that was going to save them. Only he wasn't producing any water. right? So what do they want to do to kind of alleviate the pain? The sin? The anger? They want to stone him. If if we're all going to die, you're going to die first. And we'll feel better. Right? We'll feel better. But Moses confronts them. He says, your issues are not about they're not about me. They're about God. You don't have issues with me. I'm just, you put me in the wrong place. You're testing God. And here's the other thing that you and I do. No matter where you are in maturity with God, you and I tend to stand as judge and jury for God. Right? So what we do is we say, okay, God, you put me in this place. I'm in the place of rest and yet there's no water. Explain yourself because I'm, I'm a good judge. I'm really smart. I'm fair. If you have a good explanation for taking us out here into the middle of the desert or, or causing these things to happen to me or making me suffer through this or giving me this kind of body or having this kind of brain or having this kind of, you know, children or whatever it is, you can go down the list. Like, if you explain yourself and I think you make sense, I'll let you pass. It'll be okay, right? A lot of us, demand that God explain himself. We put God on trial. If you come into community, you will have your 
testing of God confronted. If you come into community, you will have your wilderness, your brokenness validated, but you also have your community, or your, uh, your testing of God confronted. And so what, you, what will happen is, is you'll be forced to look at who really is God in your life if you choose to come and belong and be part of the village. Now, I can't promise that will be perfect or anything like that because it hasn't been. But that's the intention. That's what we hope to be about. Now, the story continues, and, and I, I have limited time here, so I'm going to just tell you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul tells us that the rock that Moses is about to strike, so I'll give you a, a little preview, is Jesus, okay? He says the rock is Jesus. He tells us the rock is Jesus. So that's important to the story, and you'll see how that kind of plays itself out. The Lord said to Moses, Go over before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will be standing before you on the rock of Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and the water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in plain view of the elders of Israel. He called the name, he, he called the name of the place Messiah, Massa and Meribah because of the contending of the Israelites and because of their testing the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? When Moses grabs the staff and when Moses grabs the elders, judgment is going to happen. In a court of law, if God's on trial, there's a decision that's going to be made. And this whole thing is set up like a trial. The staff is the thing that gives you authority. The elders are the ones who are going to verify it. Now, normally what you would think is the Israelites have tested God, they're angry at God, and so a judgment's coming. He's going to wipe out half of them, right? That's how he seems to handle things sometimes in the Old Testament. Is boom, that's it, right? So Moses heads off. But instead, God says to him, go to, to this rock in Horeb, which is where the burning bush was, where the angel of the Lord met Moses. So go to the place I met you, and I'm going to stand on the rock. Okay, I'm going to stand on the rock, and I want you to go up to the rock, and with your staff of judgment in front of the elders, I want you to strike the rock. Okay. Well, what is he doing? He's striking God with the staff. So what happens? God's on trial, and instead of wiping everybody out, what does God do? God takes the punishment, right? He takes the hit. He's on the rock. He gets hit by the staff. And what happens? Water comes out, right? Water pours out of the rock. And so instead of Israel being judged, God takes the punishment on himself. God chooses to take the responsibility for them. So, the third thing, if you enter into community, what you're going to receive, I think, is you will have a deeper experience of God's grace. If you come into a community that's surrounded around Jesus, what you're going to experience, if you decide to belong, is God's grace. Because you're going to be faced with your judgment. You're going to be faced with your broken cisterns. And instead of God judging you, what you'll get offered in a community that surrounds Jesus is you'll get Jesus. And what did Jesus do? 
Instead of you and I being punished for our sin and for our dethroning of God and for our judgment, Jesus took the strike of death on Him. He took our consequence, right? So what community, where the healing comes from, the way that you and I are given an opportunity to heal one another is that we end up engaging Jesus. We get to experience Jesus. I want to read to you what Jesus says um, in John chapter 7. Now, there's this feast going on in John chapter 7, and part of the feast has to do with water being poured on an altar. And when that happens, um, in John chapter 7, verse 37, this is what it says. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So, Jesus, like the rock in the desert, becomes our living water. So when you and I end up having our sin exposed, what we get is really cool water. So if you go back to that picture of Aaron pouring oil all over him, right, in, in, in uh, Psalm 133, and the dew setting on the mountain. The experience that you and I are invited into when we come into community is to experience Jesus in community. And it is this deep, joyous drink of cold water. Right? That, that when you engage the community, when you decide to belong, when you decide to commit to it, when you decide to rub shoulders with one another, there is this deep, deep spiritual experience of Jesus that is like drinking cold, cold water from a stream. Now, what I want you to do with all of this. Here's real simple what I want you to do with it. I want you this year to commit to coming to church on Sunday. Because that's part of, of being part of the community. To experience it, you have to come. So I want you to come and commit to it. Be here on Sunday as often as you can. Grab hold of figuring out how you might help with kids, how you might help cooking, how you might help cleaning. Be Make this your home and this your place. Okay. Second thing I want you to do is that if you are in a pilgrim group, which is our Bible studies, like I've been talking about, if you're in the pilgrim group, do your Bible study. I don't know. Do it. Because it's really, really rich. And it's going. this is how you're going to drink that water, how you're going to know who Jesus is. Do your Bible study. If you're not in a pilgrim group, get in one. If you can't find a place that's at least connected to this community, like Jeff and Emily's Bible study, where you can plug in. Okay. Second, if you're not in a monastic community and you can get in one, get in one. But don't just say, oh, okay, I'm going to attend once a month. Figure out what the mission of that community is. Connect with those people every week. Engage them. Make them your friends, even if you're so not like them. 
Make that community your little village. Okay? So I want you, what do I want you to do? How are you going to experience all these things? Because you can't experience, you know, having your wilderness, your brokenness acknowledged. You can't experience people challenging your testing of God. And you cannot experience deep healing if you don't get involved. If you don't participate in the things that happen. It just won't happen. Okay? So, so that's what I want you to do in response to this. So you know now what it looks like in some ways to be, to be part of a healing community. Just a couple little ideas. You know why we might want to do it. Here's what I want you to do. Now, let me just inspire you. Let me just try to give you some inspiration to be part of this. Okay? In Acts chapter 2, the early church is described. Okay? And this is how the early church is described by the writer Luke in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Reverential awe came over everyone and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common and they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as everyone had need. Every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the good will of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. This little description, you know, I'm not trying to say, hey, let's do this and this is the way that life should be completely because God blew this up after a while because it's super, super intense. And he needed to spread his church out. But here is a snapshot of the way it's supposed to be. The way that actually people get healed. The way that you and I find healing. The way that we have goodwill in the community. Okay, This is how it happens. The way it happens is that when you decide to jump in and devote yourself to the teaching of the leaders in the community. When you decide that, as Rod talked about last week, that you don't need all the stuff that you have. But there are other people in this church and outside who need the stuff that you have. And so you start giving it to them, right, freely. It's when, by common consent, you get together. When you're all like, yeah, let's get together. Like you're excited to engage one another. You're excited to be worshiping God together. All of that takes intention. But there is an amazing result. What happens is you're healed, and your neighbor is healed. So let me add one last thing. Here's my longing for this year as you step into things in this community. My longing for this year is at the end of this year, if I go and interview the people that you work with, your neighbors, everybody who's surrounding you outside of this church, so when I interview them and I say, tell me about you know, Garris, tell me about Steve, tell me about Hannah, what I'm going to hear is, well, you know what? they go to this church where they found Jesus and this is what they learned. And this is what they know and this is how they were transformed. That's what my hope is. That the story of healing and transformation that you experience here, you then begin to proclaim to the people outside. And the people are added. Now, added, I don't care if they're added here, I just care if they're added to the kingdom of God. And that they celebrate God. So, 
That hopefully is my inspiration for you to be part. Now let me just be super, super, super honest with you. This community, we have a wilderness, right? We have this value that we're going to talk we talk about for 12 weeks, community. And then all of you, I promise, will be disappointed with it. Because if community can't be the God, yes, we believe that a community surrounded by Jesus transforms us, heals us, but community can't be the God. You are going to come in here and be lonely and disappointed and frustrated. That, that is part of the story. But if you sit down and you're like, hey, this is disappointing and frustrating, where you end up is where the Israelites ended up. And you end up in the place where you say, oh, this is supposed to be the place of rest, and yet there's no water here. Right? So if you come in with that mindset, I promise you it'll get confronted because that's not going to work. So, I want us to be like this. That's what I hope for. Um, that's what I hope that when you stand up and say, I belong to the village next week in whatever form, that that's what you're... You're not just saying, ah, I belong to these people who meet in a house sort of thing and they eat dinner together. No, that you're saying you belong to a people who are about healing and about Jesus. Um, somebody got a time for me? Six what? 608. All right. We'll go with 608. Uh, anybody have any questions, thoughts, pushbacks? Um, I don't like that. Let's fight in the parking lot. Anything like that? So, yes, ma'am. <laughs> You're ready to belong. You both can have a letter. We have tons of letters. Ah, yes. Well, we, we are duplicating some of the letters due to capital and lowercase. And uh, we also have numbers and question marks and a few emoticons. Um, one emoticon, whatever. Yeah, you can get a semicolon. I think that's... <laughs> it's all right. I'm okay with that. Weighing heavy on you. All right. Any other comments or questions? Oh, all right. No comments or questions. Well, then we will end early. And, uh, oh, yes, sir. Any other thoughts? I have a minute, too. All right, I will pray.